Hello and welcome to episode 165 of the NFL Scotland podcast. The first of the two London games are done. We move on from the Jets to the Falcons. We look forward to the Jags and the Dolphins. My name is Cameron Hobbs. He said that with a straight face. My name is Paul Mitchell. Yes, what a day it could be at the Tottenham Stadium on Sunday. But don't worry, there'll be plenty of other games that we could talk about as well. Delighted we're joined by NFL Scotland's Gordon McGuinness on the back of another terrific Ravens performance. Gordon might just mention it once or twice. <laughs> once or twice. Not, not any more than that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'll have some London chat for you later on. We'll get into the specifics of the location uh, and our experiences, Paul. We were obviously down for the first game. Uh, for yep. anyone that's going down this weekend that didn't make it down last weekend, we will share our experiences and our highs and lows. We we reached out and got some input from people on Twitter as well to get their input. So we'll have some comments around that. But overall, guys, what's your what are your week five headlines? And uh, do you know what, Gordon? Just just get it out of the way. Let's start at the top. Let's start with the Ravens. They deserve so, to be started with. Let's be honest. I I I don't even think it's the Ravens. And I think this is the this is the real story of the Ravens through five weeks of this season. Back in 2019, when Lamar Jackson won MVP, you looked at that and you said, oh, he's playing phenomenally well, but everything around him is relatively perfect. The offensive line's playing really well. The scheme's perfect for him. You know, they're relying heavily on the run and teams haven't adapted to it yet. The defense was creating turnovers right, left and center. The Ravens' offense this year... The offensive line's a mess. They're missing two to three starters. The defense has given up on the idea of tackling. It's just a, an optional thing that they no longer worry too much about. They can't run the ball to the point that their you know streak of 100-yard rushing games ended on Monday night. And yet they're 4-1 because Lamar Jackson is doing what everyone said he couldn't do and carrying them with his arm. And Monday, they were out of that game on Monday. And the, the, the final quarter of that game was just Lamar Jackson's arm. And there's so many little things he now does well with his arm. The, the game-winning touchdown pass in overtime, he has a little pump fake that buys just a little bit of time from the defender. Uh, and I just think it's great. Like, it's it's really... I, I obviously, as a Ravens fan, love watching Lamar Jackson play football. But it's great to see he continues to develop because you know it annoys so many people as well, which just makes it doubly fun. <laughs> It was tremendous. Like, he he answered a lot of questions there, down by as far as they were down. And we'll come on to the stats and all the numbers and stuff like that, but take that out of it, just the, the absolute optics of what he did. Um, he took that team by the scruff of the neck and he led it back into the game. He led it all the way through, did what he needed to do, and then delivered in overtime, which is something that is very impressive. It's character, and it's against a good Colts team. It's not a brilliant Colts team, but they're more than good enough to be able to sort of withstand a few waves of the Ravens and what some of the Ravens play has been even so far this season. You know, you look even at back at the Detroit game and things like that, and you, you compare that performance to what they did against uh, the Lions, and it's they've, they've definitely improved. And it feels like Jackson is clearly a confidence player, but it would have been so easy for that to have knocked him off his peg completely, and what he's shown there is that he can actually get his confidence together within a game-time situation where he's way off, way behind, and drive things forward. And, and that's got to be very reassuring for you as a fan. It's it's great, yeah. It's I, I So I watched the game, and this is at 35 years old now. Unless it's the playoffs, 
unless it's Thanksgiving and I've got the Friday off the next day, I don't do prime time anymore. I'm sorry. I don't care if that makes me some form of plastic NFL fan now. Don't remotely care. I don't do prime time. I don't do staying up till 5.30 in the morning. So I've watched now three Ravens games this year on Game and 40 the next day. So I got up and watched that game and watching it, you get through the whole first half and you're like, okay, they're going to we're going to lose this game, right? And then the comeback started, and it was to the point that the confidence you have in Lamar Jackson now, when they got the ball on the final drive, immediately I was wondering, would they get the two-point conversion? Because I knew they were scoring a touchdown. Because the way he was playing with his arm, it was it was done. And then when overtime happened, they, uh, they cut to Lamar Jackson on the sideline, and he mouths, it's over. Because the Ravens got the ball. And he knew he was driving down and scoring. And it's just... For all, as a Ravens fan, love Joe Flacco. You know the Super Bowl run was great. Lamar Jackson is light years away of where Joe Flacco was, apart from that one preseason run. Can I suggest the Colts choked? Is that yes. unfair? No, I don't think that's it. But I mean, they, I feel a little bit bad for them because their kicking problems were relatively injury related as well. They had two kickers yeah. in that game because the guys hurt, but they did choke. Yeah, I mean that that that's the unfortunate thing for me. I'm not taken away from from Lamar Jackson. I mean, the most passing yards in a game in Baltimore's history it was it was highly impressive. I'll come back to a ball bag nomination for this game a little bit later on. Uh, talking about other things, I mean, things that surprised me in in the week: just 27 points between the Cards and 49ers. I was expecting a much higher scoring game between there. Uh, Jacksonville, 20 straight losses. Told you to be historic coming to London. <laughs> you did. Um, <laughs> you did. You know, I, I, I called that, so I'm taking that. Uh, ironically, they could beat Miami. I mean, it could come to a halt. Um, they could beat Miami. Uh, Cowboys, 4-1. and one. I think, again, you just got to give them the nod. It's a divisional game. You know, prime time. They handled the Giants pretty well. The Lions' sob story continues. Um, and the Seahawks, you got to give the Seahawks the finger. They've got the problem. Because the Seahawks, without Russell Wilson, uh, what is it, Geno Smith or Blake Bortles? Uh, if you're going to play the Seahawks, play them in the next couple of weeks because I think you've got a really good chance. Uh, I think, and I, I just wondered what you guys think. I mean, Geno Smith and Blake Bortles are competent enough to carry you through a week or two, but it's such a massive drop-off from Russell Wilson. Oh, it's huge. You know, I... And Russell Wilson hasn't really missed any game time at all, I don't think. That's the first time the Seahawks have even lost in Thursday Night Football since 2012. I think they'd won yeah. nine or something straight before this. You know, there was loads of stats about Russell Wilson loving primetime. And that Thursday night game was dull to begin with. It was uh, defensive. Stafford couldn't get going. Wilson had a couple of big throws, but actually the Rams defense held strong. And ultimately that injury was definitely enough to, to swing it in the favor of LA. I think the Rams probably would have edged it overall either way. But with Russell Wilson, you've got an X factor there. You've got the best player on the team that can make stuff happen. Without that, Geno Smith could go out and have a great game. The, I don't think the best Geno Smith is as good as a good Russell Wilson. And I think that that's where ultimately they definitely take a step back. And it's not even to do with Geno Smith in that sense. I think that it's such a high caliber of player that they've got a quarterback that just makes stuff happen that that's hard to replace. And if you're Blake Bortles or Geno Smith, you've just got to go in and do what you do best uh, and make it your team. Um, there'll have to be adjustments on the offense. There's no way they'll play like they do with Wilson. And it'll be interesting to see how they develop through the games that they've got. 
I can't believe you're calling a game dull that had those Seahawks uniforms, which are, for the record, the best the best uniforms in the NFL. One one time a year, if they wore that every home game, it would not be great. One time a year, love those. Love them. <laughs> I agree. The other day, I the, like them. I'm quite yeah. envious you're, of them. I think there's a, a. I love the green. I, but I agree. It's one game, definitely. You, you are you're spot on about how the offense is going to change. Pete Carroll must be rubbing his hands about how much he's going to be able to run the ball because <laughs> there's no. When he has Russell Wilson, he's forced to pass the ball like fifty percent of the time. They're going to run the ball about seventy percent of the time until they're out of games at this point. The other, the other couple of stories, Cameron, obviously, I mean, the Bills beating the Chiefs. So, I mean, that was huge. I mean, that was highly, highly impressive. And you've got to ask, you know, the Chiefs have got a great assembled talent, but they often say it's hard to, you know, keep going at such a high level. And that's what it looks like. And and how about a shout out for friend of the podcast, Kevin Harlan, who was brilliant on the Browns against the Chargers. Absolutely brilliant. What a mental game. That was and no better person to put the soundtrack to it. That was just fantastic. I, that, that was a that was a great game. Yeah. Like just yeah. phenomenal. It was a great high scoring game full of great high scoring plays. Like it just because sometimes you get those games and actually it's fine, it's it, it's high scoring, but actually there's nothing sensational. It felt like every single touchdown was like a, an absolute get you out your seat play at times. So I'm. Um, very entertaining. Even the Browns dragging Eckler into the end zone at the end, you know, absolutely the right move. And I, I know in hindsight, fine, they kind of screwed it up when they got the ball back and they didn't perhaps get it down the field like they wanted to. But it was the right thing to do. Great awareness from the the Cleveland defense. They'd given up a bunch of points, but you know what? They made the right call there. Uh, they gave themselves a chance with the ball in their own hands. Uh, it was a thriller, an absolute thriller. Went back and watched the highlights again on Monday, coming up the road on the train, and it was as good the second time around. Uh, it really was. Absolutely sensational. And sensational for all the right reasons, whereas you've then got the Packers-Bengals, which was sensational for all of the wrong reasons. Uh, and we will cover a lot of these games when we get to the awards part of this episode, as we always do. It was quite something to watch those kicks miss. Woofed. Absolutely. I mean, it, it was a bizarre week for kickers. What, 13 extra points missed as well. But I think Gordon mentioned it earlier. A few kicking injuries along the way as well. Yes, indeed. One thing to note as well, just you're chatting about uh, the Jags going into London next week. If the Jags do lose to the Dolphins, their next game's against the Seahawks after the bye. So they'll potentially go into that one with a little bit of hope that Russell Wilson, in fact, Russell Wilson won't be back by then. But um, I'm not even sure... I think Gino or Blake Bortles, Blake Bortles to lead the Seahawks to beat the Jacksonville Jags. But yeah, go put your money on it right now. That's definitely I, just, I, <laughs> I I am struggling to see how the Jaguars win a game with Urban Meyer there, with everyone that's gone on. Like it just feels like that's uh, that needs an interim coach to give that team a boost, and then you know they can win four of the last six or something like that. That feels like how that's going to go. The, no, if, if Urban, the, the, the problem was, because I listened to you guys on the podcast last week talking about Urban Meyer. You've got to remember, the, the, one of the things that's interesting, because I watched this on PTI with Tony Kornheiser, and Tony Kornheiser is not an Urban Meyer fan in any way, shape, or form. But that was Urban Meyer's own place that he was in. He owns the place. And Tony Kornheiser was putting forward basically to say that when you own a place, you get all sorts of people coming up to you. And you're never quite sure what they're going to do to you. Um, Paul, you know, he says, I'm, no, no, just, just, just let me finish. Let me finish. Right. Okay, okay. Well, I'll no, sit no, here quietly no, no. and listen to this, yeah, right? You know, you know, Tony Kornheiser, you know, basically 
said you didn't know whether somebody was going to come up to slug you or kiss you or hug you. It's a very bizarre situation. And his point was that this kind of thing may have happened to Urban Meyer you know, a few times, and it's difficult because it's your own premises. Now, what Urban Meyer did was stupid. I'm not defending that in any way. I'm just trying to give you the point that was being made by by Tony Kornheiser. If Urban Meyer's going to leave Jacksonville, it should be because of the way he's coaching, not because of that stupid incident. And I'm with you, Gordon. I'm, I'm struggling to see where they are actually going to get a win from. The Jags are so bad, they could lose their bye week. That's how bad they are. They could lose in their bye week. Um, <laughs> The thing, the thing with the Urban Meyer thing, take take all the stuff about it being his place and the conduct and that out of the thing. The part of it that I saw a lot of people talking about was from like a, a coaching perspective. They lost the game on Thursday night football. Yep, he stayed in Ohio, and the rest of the team went back to Jacksonville. That just that does not feel like the right move for anything. It, it doesn't feel in. But, but did they have the? But did they have the days off? That that see, the, the, there's certain things we need to know. If you're did he give his players four, did, Paul? No, no. If you can't you overwork, you, you don't you have a day off. You, you don't have a day off. No. You you can't overwork players now, rightly or wrongly. If he no, gives his players a day off, as a coach. Like the coach no, shouldn't but, be in the bar touching asses. He should be in the room is it, studying his tactics. If that's my coach. I'm raging. I I am pissed. Right. I I would if Shanahan's out doing that and we're 0 and four and he's out partying on a Sunday. I'm like, what are you doing? You need to be at the facility and you need to be working on some wins here because you've just taken over this team. There are shambles. You had the number one pick, the best player coming out of college, and you can't even get close to a win. You've absolutely blown it against the Bengals, and then they've come out again and they've blown it again. I. I don't Again, agree with that at all. If, if he's given his whole team the weekend off, then that's fine. Because that's the decision that's been made at that point. He's decided to stay at home. He's human. He wants to see his family. Could have done with seeing more of his family rather than other people. But So I'll defend on that. And you've, you've got to be able to switch. You don't know he gave them the whole day off. You're defending on I, I, that's, Yes, but, but people are also prosecuting, not understanding what the full facts are. I'm just saying we've got to just ease back just a little bit. He will go on his record for coaching. Now, they've invested a lot of money in him. They'll have to pay him off if it doesn't work. You know, you've got to look at, you've then got to pay off a whole staff as well. So I'm not convinced that they're going to get rid of him. Um, and I said, I'd get rid of him for his coaching, not for the, the other dumb things that, that he's been doing. So I think there's, it, uh, it's I an agree. interesting I agree point. with that completely as well. I wouldn't get rid of him for that, but I think that for me, it's a warning sign. And I think that the noises coming out have been that he's potentially lost the locker room there. You hear that a lot. So it comes with a oh, pinch no. of salt. It Blah. comes with a pinch of salt. But I tell you what, that team did not play like a team that's particularly joined up. The fact he also... that he didn't even know about the uh, Robinson touches being cut in the second half when someone challenged him about it. Uh, and he was like, "Oh, I wasn't aware of that." And his own team. It's just when he when he was asked about leadership, he said it was on the players. So uh, there's a lot that's come out in the last. I I don't think nah, he's cut for the NFL. Just... He's just not cut for it. I think there's very that... little to see. To that, there's very little in the way of rays of light. Um, you know, and I, I'm not one to pull the trigger on people early when it comes to coaching. People need time. Um, but I think that given all of that, you know, this is it's definitely not a good start. He's got a lot to prove. Uh, and I can understand why some Jags fans would be questioning already going, 
actually, do we get rid of him now and get someone in that we can just take over and try and save this? Or do we give him time and let him continue to lead us down a merry line of losing? Yeah, but if he's 4-0 and does that in the bar, nobody blinks an eyelid in the same way. They wouldn't be. It's it's the double standards fickleness of the NFL that that we're that we're used to. Not just the NFL, in in all of sport as well. So I that's think, just just the I way it goes. I think he would still be questioned for groping another woman in a bar, even if he was 4-0. But questioned, yes, but they they wouldn't be seeking for him to get out, and you wouldn't be getting all these stories coming out of the dressing room. You could probably go to any team at the moment that's one and four. Um, and you'll start to hear stories about the coach because there's always a disenfranchised player somewhere along the line who doesn't like what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. These, these things happen. Um, you know, you'll always get discontent. It just depends on how cute people are with the media getting the stories out. But I'll agree with you. It was a bad look. I mean, if that had been me and I'd given the players the weekend off and we'd just been beaten again, I would have said, sorry, guys. We're all in on Sunday morning. Let's get together over breakfast. You know, whatever it takes. I think that would have shown a little bit of leadership to to try and bring the team together. But they are they are an utter utter shambles. But they've still got a decent chance, I think, of beating Miami this week. Yeah, and it's interesting to see if Tua, obviously coming off at IR, I'm sure the Dolphins fans going along will want to see him play. Um, you know, there's still a lot of questions about Tua and whether he's got any future as a. NFL quarterback really not seen a lot to like there either but I guess that's probably more the the namesake that you want to see in that matchup um so I think the the Dolphins fans will be certainly hoping for that one um interesting to see if the Dolphins can kind of get back on their form you know last year we talked about how few points they were gonna giving up this year it seems to be the opposite have they given up the most points um I think potentially so it's yeah, or the most yards, I can't remember. There's certainly something that they've, they, they're they up the top end of that they were at the bottom end of last year. Uh, and I think that questions are going to be asked there about what's changed, you know, what's going on in Miami. Certainly, it's, it's more than the quarterback situation for sure. Makes that Florida Derby in London certainly very interesting. That's for sure. Other headlines to come out of the week. The Giants lost most of their offense in what ended up being a ridiculous one-sided game. But they were very unlucky with some of that. I think that's a shame as well because Daniel Jones has actually played quietly very well through the first four and a half weeks of the season. So a bit of a shame to see that get derailed. Uh, Barkley getting injured again, and that looks like yeah. it's at least going to be a couple of weeks for him coming back off of the ACL injury. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's not it's not ideal for them, and I do I do feel for them somewhat. All right, let's take that opportunity then uh, and get some of your thoughts as we go to the Loch Lomond Belter of the Week award for this one. So uh, there's a few things uh, and a few people getting nominated this week. Um, Few people calling out that Browns Chargers games, in particular Paddy Kelly. He calls out Brandon Stanley. Credit due to a Chargers team that's always been on the cusp of doing something for a few years now, but for injuries. He really has them looking like contenders. Smart play calls and a pretty impressive team across the board. Horrible being a Raiders fan after the Chiefs' dominance the last few years and now having the Chargers look just as formidable. Um, Credit from a couple of people for Davis Mills. Uh, I'll read Phil Dixon's view on this one. In only his 14th start since high school, Mills rewrote the rookie quarterback versus Bill Belichick take. Only four rookie QBs have thrown for 200 plus yards, two touchdowns in a game against Belichick since 2000. Davis Mills had done it 
at the two-minute warning before half-time. Certainly, given the performance the week before, it showed some bounce-back ability when it comes to Davis Mills. John Harper, he suggests Greg Joseph kicked the first Vikings walk-off field goal since 2008. Ryan Johnson gives his to Jamar Chase. Excellent start to the season and another outstanding touchdown. Five touchdowns already and over 450 yards. Uh, shares a very good group of just him and Randy Moss with the stats he's put up so far as a rookie, which is very impressive. A couple of people nominating Justin Herbert. I think he gets six in total. David Dryborough, though, he says, incredible performance versus Cleveland. My early season pick for MVP based on his first five games. While Barry Patterson says, Chargers up to 4-1 and one, and he's playing consistently at an MVP level. Lovely stuff. Philip Palmer gives it to Kyle Pitts. Breakout game, always going to be a star. Came up big in London. And then, basically, it's a plethora of people voting for Lamar Jackson. There is a few others in there. Um, David Black suggests Mark Andrews. Uh, huge overall performance capped off with four end zone receptions. There is a nomination or two for Mason Crosby. Ross Taylor puts it best. He says, I know, I know, but the balls on this guy to step up after three missed field goals and nail it was pretty impressive. You can see this being a story for Green Bay winning the Super Bowl. That feels a lot like, you know, a child misspelling a word four times in a row at school. They get it right the fifth time. They get sent home with a nice wee badge that's like, oh, I did a good, good job. But they, did, they did get the hardest word right at the end, I think, is probably the one that goes with that. It's not, it was the longest of the lot. I am going to say, right, Tony Brewerton says the Chargers of Brown's game. Uh, simply for serving up what can only be described as a sublime evening of entertainment. 89 points, over 1,000 yards of offense, seven lead changes, spells and thrills. It was truly amazing. Then there's a couple more before I come back to Lamar. Cameron Christie and Ali Gunn, along with a few others, suggest Tom Brady. Cameron Christie says, back to his best after a difficult few weeks with thro throwing five touchdowns. Ali Gunn says Tom Brady then puts the word sorry in brackets for nominating him. His first 400-plus yard, five-touchdown game at age 44. It's clearer now than ever that he's made a deal with the devil. Is he, is he an MVP candidate? He is, he is an MVP candidate now. <laughs> he is more so than he was week one. I'll, I'll agree to that. I never said he wouldn't win it. I never said he would. Right, um, but it's fine. Let's get on to someone that's more of a... MVP candidate. And I, again, a load of people nominated. I think we've got nine total uh, nominations for Lamar Jackson, but two people put this best, I think. So Steve Briggs says, phenomenal game on Monday night. His 86% completion rate was highest in history for a QB with over 40 attempts out of 4,017 games to do so. And for a quarterback throwing for over 400 yards, that's insane. Uh, for the season, he's fifth in passing yards and eighth in rushing and has more total yards than half the NFL teams. That is incredible. While Michael Harris says, sneakily having an MVP start to the season. Everyone's talking about Josh Allen. Jackson's team are dealing with lots of injuries and he's balled out, breaking the Ravens' passing yards in a single game record. Gentlemen, your belters of the week. Well, there is only one, and let's be honest. I mean, Gordon's probably going to, get, going to go for that Lamar guy from Baltimore. But Blake Gillikin, the punter for the Saints. <laughs> 268 yards, 53.6 gross, 51.6 net. Three punts landing inside the five-yard line. First NFL punter since at least 2000 of three punts of 53-plus yards down inside the three-yard line. There you go. 
stunning job. I didn't Brilliant. pick up on that, but fair play. Fair play. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's worth a mention. I know he's not going to win it because of this Jackson boy, but I think it's worth a note. How's, uh, how's the Jameis Winston era going for Paul in New Orleans? Well, he is five get- weeks into the season calling the punter the belter of the week. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although, although, although to be fair, my um, my general manager of my fantasy team, often referred to as my eldest son, uh, just sent me a thing saying the first five games of this season and last season, Breeze and Jameis Winston, 3-2 win record, yards per attempt, 7.7. Drew uh, Breeze, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, Jameis 12-3, and, and Jameis has got a better passer rating. It just proves you can manipulate anything with numbers. Jameis, if you want my latest update, you saw everything against Washington. A couple of brilliant deep balls and then threw a bad interception and you know and fumbled one out of his chest. It's exactly what we're going to get with Jameis Winston. You're going to get the good, the bad and the ugly all together. As long as the, roller coaster. I, I, I think as long as the good heavily outweighs the bad, which at the moment it does seem to be doing. But I get it. He's no. still he's still prone Move to on. some moments, but ah. Uh, I, I'm enjoying watching him. Move, move anyway, on. Anyway, so. anyway, so yes, yes, it's Lamar Jackson. I'm not going to disagree with that. Did anyone nominate Josh Allen, though? Uh, I think there was one nomination for Josh Allen. Yes, there was. Fergus. Because I think I think you came into, you know, the way he performed for the first four weeks of the season was a step back from where he was last year. And especially the first couple of weeks, you could start to get a little bit concerned that he was going to revert back to the Josh Allen of old. And then, similar to the way Lamar Jackson did against the Chiefs in week two, had a, had a great performance against the Chiefs. Um, and for all these non-Chiefs teams in the AFC, be that Cleveland, the Chargers now, Buffalo and Baltimore, the Chiefs are still the mark in the AFC, as, as much as they've struggled. Unless they miss the playoffs, they're absolutely still the mark because they have Patrick Mahomes. You, you need Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson... Baker Mayfield and Justin Herbert to be high-performing quarterbacks if you're going to have a chance against them. And I think it's good for the Bills that Josh Allen is continuing to show that. Yeah. But it's Lamar. Yeah, I. it is Lamar. It has to be Lamar. It's an amazing performance. I think Kyle Pitts, special mention, having seen him live, he was an absolute standout in that game. But fine, it was against the Jets. Um, Jamar Chase having a great season. I loved the Davis Mills ones. Davis Mills quietly just going about his business and doing what he needs to do. Um, you know, that Texans team's had a hard time, but they showed some, again, like I said, bounce-back ability against the Patriots. But it's Lamar Jackson. I think that there's two out of three of us. We'll put forward the, the Saints punter as a notable mention, but congratulations to Lamar Jackson. Let's raise a dram. You are the Loch Lomond Whiskey Belter. Of the week. Now, before we get into ball bag, uh, there's obviously someone who has drawn an awful lot of nominations, but given the severity of the situation, it's probably appropriate that we discuss that and not necessarily bring it out in the, the ball bag nomination part. Um, the situation with John Gruden, who's obviously stepped down following the the leaking, the releasing, the publication of uh, a number of emails sent uh, from a couple of years ago during his time with ESPN, uh, called into question the situation. Now he has stepped down, whether he was sacked, but he was given the opportunity to step down, who knows? Maybe they did step down. Certainly that's the message that's come out. Um, 
guys just get your thoughts on it, really. Right. Let, let, let's go with the obvious. What he did was indefensible. Let's just start there, okay? Um, let's have a look at how it's happened. So there's been an investigation into the Washington football team. 650,000 emails uh, have been checked, and John Gruden is the only ball bang amongst them. Don't believe it. Don't believe it for a minute. So um, far. So far. That, yeah. So far. But, yeah, so far. Right. Somebody decided to take out John Gruden. Rightly or wrongly, somebody decided to do that. Now, you can check the motivation behind that. Was it, you know, do you want to go to the wild conspiracy theories, which are bollocks, that the Raiders were finally good, so they had to get rid of John Gruden. Nonsense. He called the NFL commissioner a naughty word. Is is really Roger Goodell going to take him out for that? I would doubt it, because I'm fairly certain every single owner has called Roger Goodell something, uh, probably to his face as well. So I don't suspect it's that. Somebody somewhere has got sight of this, and has decided to take John Gruden out. We don't know why. Now, it's classic stuff. The first one didn't work. So the second one then came out, and John Gruden's smart enough to realise that there was more to come, so he's called it a day. Um, we can talk about the league double standards, and we'll talk about that another day, the whataboutery. I mean, because you can. You can look at some of the players that are playing in this league and what they've been convicted of and accused of, which is much, much worse um, than what John Gruden's done. But that doesn't excuse John Gruden. John Gruden made his own bed. He goes down the route of having to, to fall on his sword for that. But somebody's had it in for him. Somebody's done him. Bearing in mind this was when he was not even an employee of the NFL, which is also interesting, because I wonder what recourse they would have had to get him out, because it happened when he wasn't employed, unless there was more emails uh, when he was an employee of the NFL. So I think there's an awful lot to it but somebody has stuck the knife at him. And if you leave yourself open for that, given what he's done, hey, you deserve it. I, I don't even necessarily think it's someone at the NFL or someone who's had it in for him. We spoke about this a little bit before we came on, and Cameron made a good point that it's every chance that from redacted emails in court, some smart reporter has been able to, to look at these things. But it comes... it Even skipping past the indefensible nature of all and what he said is awful. I'm really uncomfortable with how comfortable he was with the things he said in those emails. But from a leadership perspective, he had to go because you cannot lead players having said those things. It wasn't just a naughty word he called Roger Goodell. It was a homophobic slur. And he is the coach of the team that is the first openly gay player in the NFL. You, you should not be saying those words. You should not have that level of anger towards individual groups of people in your heart and soul anyway. You should not be saying those words and you shouldn't be doing it if you're in any way a leader of men. And ultimately, he's had to go. And I'm, I'm glad that he's gone because I don't want NFL head coaches who are like that. I, I would say, and we're not going to talk about it in the Bob Ag nomination because we're doing it now, right? Uh, two of the Raiders fans that have been in touch are absolutely delighted that he's gone, you know, and that's from the Raiders fans. So I get, um, you know, I, I don't think he'll be the the only card to fall in this. I think this has been a lengthy investigation um, that's gone on. And 
yeah, who knows, right? We're guessing. We're absolutely speculating about what might have come out and what has happened. What's happened, we can deal with facts. What's happened is emails have come out where John Gruden has clearly used inappropriate language and, a, and he's now in a position where that inappropriate language questions his credibility in his situation. Um, as a player, I wouldn't want to play for him. I'm not a player, but I wouldn't. Um, and obviously he has to go. Uh, his career in the NFL is, I would imagine, over on the back of that. Um, whether someone had it in from, whether someone pieced the bits together, who knows? It's kind of irrelevant because what's happened is bad stuff's happened using official channels. That's been leaked. That's come out. He's now gone. I don't think he'll be the only one. I definitely don't think he'll be the only one. And I think there'll be more of this to come. Um, but this is the thing. Once again, are we surprised? Like, this is the other thing. This is clearly going on at a senior level. Um, and I don't think we're necessarily surprised by it. And it's disappointing. You know, I'm more above all else, it's disappointing and it's sad that continually we've got people who are still speaking like it's the 1950s. And it's just, it's not. Come on. You know, this wasn't even 10 years ago. This is 2021. We can do better than this. Um, and I just think it's, yeah, a, a, a sad situation. Um, uh, and I hope that the Raiders are able to find a new head coach that can carry the team forward for the rest of the season. If you're trying to tell me he's the only head coach of the NFL that's used these words in the last 10 years, then you're wrong. No, you're nobody's saying wrong. that. Nobody's saying um, that. No, I'm, I'm just using that to make the point. So, you know, where does the, the moral clause come in eventually? Um, you know, what, what is the statute of limitations? Is John Gruden a racist? There's there's a question for you. And I suspect the answer is no, he's not, because of what we've heard from various players and things like that. Uh, based on um, what's John, in those emails, John, I would John say... Gruden himself, John Gruden himself has told everyone everything they need to know. Yeah, I, I gen based I, on the words I, in those emails... Yeah, hang on, hang on, hang on. If you, just let, let me finish where I'm going. It's, it's dumb male bravado in emails um, where you think you're untouchable and you can say things, whether you mean them or not, doesn't matter. You're using them and you simply shouldn't be using them. So the simple answer is don't use them. You know, um, it, it's just dumb. I mean, as I say, I think there's a bad smell about how it's happened, but he deserved what he got. He wrote that stuff. And if you want to give him any credit at all, at least he did have the decency to resign and go. But again, said it before, the, the morality in the NFL is is a is a horrible place. Our um, morality in the NFL, though, is very much comes down to a lot of the time visibility of something. So numerous players in the past, through domestic violence issues, have kind of been able to get away with it because it's a report. There was an arrest. There was no charge, and there's not any evidence. Where it's where players, you know, we saw the Ray Rice thing. When his NFL career was over was when the video came out of the, the elevator. NFL players have suffered consequences when there's been more proof on these things. If this had been rumours that John Gruden has said these things, there would have been an investigation into it and, you know, it would have moved on beyond that. I very much doubt you'd been out as a head coach. There's clear evidence. That's, that's when it's not... At that point, I don't think it's about morals. It's about what is in black and white and... He's typed these things in black and white. Well, don't get me wrong. He's, he's completely dumb, but I, I still think there is the, the NFL does have a an issue in how it addresses certain situations. I mean, take Tyreek Hill, you know, hitting his pregnant girlfriend, you know, but he's welcome back in the league. 
etc etc Kareem Hunt uh, Kareem Hunt is the other one there was, yeah there I mean was footage the, of him as well it wasn't as severe as the rear by any stretch of the imagination but it doesn't largely matter either and at the time I, I the Chiefs did the right thing and they cut him who was a great running back uh, you know we talk about pure talent but there is an element to this where if you're good enough then you can be forgiven for a lot more things than you will be if you're not that I'll, I'll agree with you there there definitely is Richie, Richie, Richie Gagnito is another example yeah you know, uh, there, there of, definitely of, is and I, it's you not know, even limited to American football. Uh, like no, no, it's, it's not. I mean, we're, 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 we're talking about this. You know, so if there's a pathway back for Richie Incognito, Tyreek Hill, etc., etc., is there a pathway back for John Gruden? Not, not an NFL head coach. I don't Colli- think as Colli- coach College either. coaching, maybe. Maybe as an analyst on TV somewhere. I, it's a very, very hard sell to men in, in a locker room. This is the man who's going to lead you when, you know, this is. And the... I guess, yeah, yeah, I guess, Gordon. Sorry to interrupt you. I guess that's the difference between your your Kareem Hunts and your Richie yeah, Cognitors. Yeah. They're, they're not leaders. I'm just asking that question, you know, to get to get debate yeah. out of this. There's also the um, thir- I think there's only 32 head coach roles in the whole of the NFL. Whereas you've got multiple running backs and needs where players get injured and then a player gets the opportunity to prove in that they've changed and all these kind of things. That your head coach, you're not going to take a risk on someone who's proven they've changed that might not have or someone who's going to constantly just be under the press and take the attention away from the team, which is what he cited as the reason to step down. The circus that will come to town, should John Gruden ever get a head coach job again, is probably a factor in that as well as what he's actually done. Uh, and in that position of up front and centre, you want someone who's there to focus on the team and the team alone. Um, and, and, you know, I think that that's possibly where he'll always just have that hanging over him. Yeah, mm. um, that's fair. But, I mean, I, th- I think on, on this podcast, I think we've done the right thing. It's, it's not a ball bag nomination. It, yeah. It's much more serious than that. So. Indeed, indeed, absolutely. But we will now go on to the Bob Ags Bob Ag nomination for this week. And there are plenty of other people up for this one. So uh, I'm going to start with Ross Sterling. He puts dirty Dan Sorensen for getting burned on coverage for two touchdowns, including basically falling asleep whilst trying to cover Dawson Knox on his touchdown play. Uh, I think the pictures, the repeat picture of Matthew uh, with his hands in the air as Sorensen's missed something over a number of games are quite amusing. Um but there you go. A couple of people have nominated Evan McPherson. Um, Michael Harris says, though, celebrated a missed kick. Sorry, celebrating a missed kick is not good. Always play to the whistle. Never assume as it makes an ass out of you and me. Uh, Johnny Bailey says, this week's ball bag has to go to the Bungles kicker celebrating his game winner. Then, only then to realise that he'd missed. Also to the American commentators for failing to pronounce his easy surname. But there's a long list of players that they get that wrong with. Um, the kickers get a hard time. An interesting one here from William Hill. <laughs> so William gives it to Catherine Jenkins. She sang the British National Anthem on the pitch and did it very well, as she usually does. But she was outshone by the brave and talented Marisha Wallace, who sang the US Anthem hundreds of feet on top of the Tottenham Hotspur stand, held on by a harness. At the climax of her anthem, she had to endure fireworks and four jets zooming past her poor soul. Nothing to do with Catherine's talent and more to do with Marisha's bravery and performance under such extreme conditions. I feel like... Marisha should have got a Belter award rather than Catherine take the heat here because Catherine was tremendous. It was shit. 
Did, did anybody let her down? So, no, she's still up there. <laughs> she stayed for the second game. She stayed for the second game. Uh, and we will come on to that because that's part of the London chat. Because, yeah. yeah, we'll come on to that. Um, Kevin Stefanski gets one from David Dryborough. 91 seconds on the clock with no timeouts and needing the touchdown. His first three plays then go for 11 yards to waste 50 yep. seconds. Bad play call and it cost the Browns the game. Lots and lots and lots for the kickers. I think Lauren Callahan puts it best. Five combined uh, missed field goals in the dying moments of the fourth quarter and overtime for both fans. Sorry, for fans of both teams, it must have been a nerve-wracking experience. Fergus gives it to the New York Giants, losing three of their top offensive players to injury. Have they not suffered enough, Fergus? How does that make them Bob Eggs? It's not their fault. I don't Even know. I wouldn't accuse them of Bob Agony for that. Come on. I think Dan- Daniel Jones, maybe, for sticking his head in places he shouldn't be sticking his head. That was a stupid play on his part. Uh, a couple of people have nominated NFL UK fans. Um, and again, we'll read this out, but we'll touch on it in a minute. I think Ross Taylor says it best. Not all the fans, but if anyone was unlucky enough to see the NFL UK Facebook group on Sunday evening, you would have thought it was the worst day ever. Just constant moaning. I've not been to a London game yet, so maybe it's rubbish. But surely you're just glad to have a game on with all the razzmatazz of the NFL in the UK. We'll touch on what some of that grumbling was about in a minute. Um, This is one that will sing to your heart, Paul, I'm sure. Phil Dixon says, whoever booked H... H himself could rightly earn the award for the true Bob Ag. Uh, but whatever Egypt thought he was a good fit for the average NFL fan in the UK or beyond. Um, yeah, do you know what? I was like, do you know what? I was like, I know that people would immediately slag him off. And I thought, do you know what? For a change, I'm going to sit and watch it. And I regretted that. It's fine. Uh, yeah, it and I'm fairly open to music. It was pretty, yeah. Um, but yeah, the kickers all over the shop. I think that Paul Shea puts his best. The kicker club, all of them. Some had a decent game, but guilty by association. <laughs> <laughs> so he's every kicker in the NFL is going in here. 25 missed kicks. The most since week 11, 1987, according to at NFL Research. Scandalous. Um, although if anyone follows Cameron's lead and claims on the pod that they could make a point after a tenth in the NFL, they're going to get a nomination too. I'm not saying that I can make a point after a tenth. Jamie Borthwick could. Jamie Borthwick could. Um, but yeah, I could make a point after if there wasn't players in front of me. I'm not. I'm not successfully kicking over six foot five, six foot six um, so, gentlemen, who is your ball bag of the week? Have you got anyone else to nominate, or are you going with someone that's already been read out? So, I, I have another one before I'll agree with a, a heavy favourite. Anyone that complains about halftime shows in London, <laughs> at everything, you have appendages that allow you. To move away. It's true. Not listen. If you go, go get a beer. Go to the toilet. You don't even have to watch, move. Just stick your fingers watching, in your ears. Watching TV, change the channel. If you're in the stadium, turn to your friend and have a conversation. You it's don't need to listen. It's too loud. It's, ne- it's never that loud. You can't have conversations. Just complaining about halftime shows. I've never ever gone to a sporting event in my life with a goal of 
the halftime show being a key part of it. No, I, I agree. I totally agree as well. Like, I, and that's the sentiment I think I take away from this is I'm not going to complain about it. That's not what I'm paying to see. I wasn't expecting anybody to be there at halftime. Uh, it's a Brucey bonus, and sometimes that bonus is, ah, that's great. And sometimes that bonus is, <laughs> ah, that's shit. And that should be it, right? That's as far as it goes. Um, it But it, it was pretty shit, in my view. And, <laughs> it was pretty shit. And the, I'm not complaining, the actual though. one... The actual one that I do agree with, though, is kickers, all, all of them. And here's here's my worry for the season. So on a week where kickers were terrible and the Colts missed a game winner against the Ravens, yep. to start overtime, John Harbaugh sends out Justin Tucker for the coin toss. All I see and all I've seen throughout this season, every time a kicker misses a field goal is, sucks that your team doesn't have Justin Tucker. Team with Justin Tucker could never. I hate the way this story is being written because I can guarantee if you keep writing it this way, the way the Ravens season ends is on a missed Justin Tucker field goal. <laughs> so if everyone could kindly stop doing that, it would be great. But kickers are, kickers collectively are the ball backs. Right, I've got several ball bag nominations. Oh, One, right, settle in, settle in people. <laughs> I take Gordon's point entirely, but the ball bag nomination isn't for the halftime show. It's for the promotion by the NFL UK of the halftime show as if it's something that's going to be out of this world by some <laughs> twat called H. That's Bob Baggery. Kevin Stefanski would win the Bob Bag Award for me because his clock management was utterly appalling. Uh, Cameron gets a Bob Bag nomination for making me change the travel lodge in Covent Garden, which is the worst <laughs> of a hotel I've ever stayed in and will never stay in there again. But I've got two other nominations. One is if you were at the London games, and I don't know whether this came across TV, but every time the Atlanta Falcons got a first down, it's another Atlanta Falcons <laughs> first down, which was Jeez. just the worst noise in the world. I think whoever was playing that, if we could have located him, he would have had his booth stormed and that particular eight-track cassette, CD, whatever you want to call it, MP3 player, shoved up where the sun don't shine because it was the most appalling noise going. That was horrible. <laughs> but the one, I, and, I, and I, I've mentioned this to Gordon, so I will get his take. Bob Aguirre of ESPN's Monday Night Football for their opening to the Colts against the Ravens game. Now, if you've not seen it and you've got Game Pass, go back and watch it. But it was basically, I summed it up as, yeah, you used to have the Colts in Baltimore, but they left to go away to Indianapolis. No big deal. You got the Ravens eventually. We should all love each other. I mean, it's a complete rewrite of history, and it was done so badly. Yeah, don't worry, we're all brothers together. Everybody's fine. Colts and Colts and Ravens, we're off the same tree. It's like what? It's a rivalry, you idiot. They left in the middle of the night. It's not. And, it's not it's uh, honestly, I'll, I'll get. Even, it's not yeah. even really a rivalry anymore. So, like, it's it's not like that. The rivalry ended really when the Ravens won their second Super Bowl. It was like, you know, there's some older fans who still harbour some serious grudges. I, I didn't think it was Bob Aggery. I just thought it was weird and not it's not well done because one, it's not really a thing anymore. Two, like you were arguing almost as if it's a divide in a city. It's not a divide in a city. There's very, very, very few Colts fans in Baltimore. No one in Baltimore is arguing that. It was weird. That just it, was, it was weird and it was terrible. And the week before when it was Raiders Chargers, it was absolutely brilliant. This was just a horrible, horrible production. Uh, but I was going to say Kevin Stefanski, but no, it was that screech. The screech of the first down <laughs> in London was just, you could see people bristling 
um, uh, as it went on. It was horrible. <laughs> I'm one, finished. Yeah, one thing I noticed about that, and again, we'll, we'll tie this into the London chat afterwards, the guy that was doing the voiceover, though, is normally at the, the London games, it's that deep-voiced kind of like, that's a, that's a Falcons third down. And he was more high-pitched. He sounded more like a, a crooner. Or someone that would work, you know, a, a, an older guy with a higher pitched voice, and it just it didn't sound right. It didn't sound right. But uh, yes, I would agree with you on the the screeching noise. And trust me, I, I had to listen to that on the headphones as you did it. It's a horrible noise when you did it. It's every bit as bad as it was when it was done in the stadium. Um, I'm going to put forward, and I'm reluctant to because I know I'm going to get abuse from Gordon for this. Uh, I am going to put forward Russell Wilson for a Bob Ag nomination this week because, and I feel like, you know, Russell Wilson is a tremendous quarterback. Russell Wilson has suffered his first real injury um, where he's ended up having to get mid-season surgery or anything like that. And it looks like, a, I mean, nasty injury to his finger. Do not get me wrong. That looks like a, a, a real, real nasty one. So he obviously went and got surgery. There's a couple of photos that came out on the back of that. There's one where Kiara's draped over him in his bed, where he's flexing his muscles as if he's just toughened it out. Finger surgery, man. Like, come on. Um, the other one is as well is he left the hospital in a wheelchair. He's got a finger operation and he left in a wheelchair. And there's a photo of him in the wheelchair. Now, he's got to have his arm elevated, granted. He's a quarterback. I'm pretty certain he can hold his arm up without needing a wheelchair. And he got a photo. Of, oh, oh, look at him. He's, oh, he's so brave. Oh, he's so brave. Oh, he's done so well with his surgery on his <laughs> finger. Bobag. Absolutely. Bobag. Like, come on, man. Be better than that. Cameron, Cameron, have you ever had surgery in your life? So... I, I'm going to tell you this story, but you're getting the edited version. So I did have an operation when I was 23. I won't tell you which part of the body it was, but it's a fairly sensitive part of the body. Um, I had a wound that opened up, and I had blood basically pouring down um, my legs. <laughs> pouring down my legs. I walked into the hospital, into a &E, got seen, got stitched up, and I walked back out again. So if I can do that... Without going into details, Russell Wilson does not need to leave in a wheelchair. That's so, all I'm saying. Did did you get put under though? I didn't. I didn't need to the second time. I got put under for the actual operation. Yes, right. and when so, I had the actual operation, I walked out the hospital. I didn't go so out in a wheelchair. I, I, I got a fin finger injury years ago, cut an avocado, missed the avocado, <laughs> severed the nerve of my finger. Did you say cut on an avocado? Oh no! You're cutting, cutting, cutting another. You're cutting oh, an avocado. You're honestly yeah. that doesn't surprise me about you. In this we have slightest. we avocado hand. It's like a wee. Anyway, so I went and got surgery from that, and didn't have to leave the hospital in a wheelchair. But post surgery, they did move me around in a wheelchair at first, and it was purely because they didn't want me, while still having the effects of anesthesia in me, to try and walk in case I fell. At which point they're going to get sued for it. So Russell Wilson's options were being crutches which he, if he's trying to keep his hand elevated, he can't use. Why is he on crutches for a finger surgery? Well, not, not cr like, well, crutches are more thinking like they're not going to let him walk normally. So yeah, it's a wheelchair. That's why, why? that's why. Right, you know, no, so you, because you'd go around in a bed, you'd be pushed around in a bed till you'd recover. And then while you're still in the hospital, before they let you leave, I, maybe they'll move you around in a wheelchair. When you're leaving and you're dressed to go, 
You're not leaving in a wheelchair. In, in the legislative lawsuit capital of the world, I can absolutely imagine why they're like, no, no, please, fine, leave in a wheelchair. But why would you take a photo of it and post it on social media? Well, because it's Russell Wilson. It's why back. NFL quarterbacks do. They just like the, you, you just <laughs> the Seattle Seahawks could do it. The Seattle Seahawks could host. I have like given a, them multiple compliments a, this evening, drive, including Russell Wilson. He is a, an dri- a drive, talent. a drive to rehome puppies, and you would still find some way to gripe would, and give him a Bob Ag nomination. If Russell yeah, Wilson, because they, they ignored the kittens, that's why. If Russell Bob Wilson Ags, just concentrating on dogs. I'll tell you now, if Russell Wilson ever does fundraising for puppies, I will commit $100 of my own money to that charity right now. So 100%. I'll put $100 into his puppy charity when it comes around. I'll keep my eyes out for that one. Anyway, he's not the Bob Ag of the Week. It's absolutely kickers. There's no two ways about it. I can't think of anyone else that deserves it more. That Packers-Bengals game was unreal. Um, thrilling to watch, not if you're part of the kicker fraternity. Um, congratulations to the entire kicker group in the NFL you are this week's Bob Ag's Bob Ag. And that leads us on to this week's prize winners. So as Lamar Jackson got the belter, I'm going to let you pick the winner of the Loch Lomond Whiskey with two tumblers, Gordon. Uh, we're looking for a number between 1 and 40. I'm going to go for the same number of incompletions that Lamar Jackson had, which was 1. Oh. Uh, sorry, 6. 6, yeah, not 1. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to number 1. <laughs> So congratulations to Darren Barry. You are a winner of a Loch Lomond bottle of whiskey. And Mr. Mitchell, same for you, please, for the ball bag winner. I think it was 13 extra points missed. Was that correct? I don't know. I think it was 13, so I'm going with number 13. So congratulations to Ross Taylor. You win a pair of ball bags underwear. Thank you once again to our sponsors, Loch Lomond Whiskies and Bob Ags Underwear for sponsoring our awards. We are giving away prizes every single week of the season, so make sure that you fill out the nomination form after the games have taken place. The form actually opens from uh, Friday morning, in essence. As soon as that Thursday night game's done, you can start making your nominations if you really want. Recommend you wait, though, because there's usually something better happens. And then you will go into the draw. We read out the best. And listen... I don't know about you guys, but I love reading out the nominations. It's part, probably one of my favourite parts of this podcast. We can waffle a load of nonsense for days, but actually hearing the views from the people that listen to this pod and enjoy the NFL, absolutely brilliant. The one other thing that we need to do just before we move on is give a quick update on the Bonnie Sauce Pick'em competition. And we've got uh, some movement at the top as well. So Mark Bavaro's Disco Pants. He's been lurking around the top there, up there with 57.23 alongside co-joint leader the Dumfries Demons, also with 57.23. We've then got a few people on 56. We've got Madman, Jerry Bowlers, Fiery Biscuit, Dave Pearson, 1874, and Juju's Dance Studios. Uh, a couple of people then on 55 that are worth mentioning, the Bobag Bears, Doers Picks, Robert Borthwick, and Confused Cowboys. So congratulations to those. I'm a couple behind. Still the highest of the podcast team, and I will keep mentioning that until I'm not, and then I'll stop talking about it. Uh, sitting in joint 18th with 53 and 27. I think, Paul, you're next closest, about three or four picks behind me. Yeah, I've recovered. I've gone 44 and 20 in the last few weeks after a 5 and 11 start. So 
uh, I have recovered, trying to make up one one game per week, and that should be enough. So I, I'm getting I'm there. Forty-two and twenty-four because I missed most of a week. This this is not, and this is not related to me relation to me missing a week. Belated Bob Ag nomination to the interface for how you select picks if you're on a desktop. The amount of times I click on something, I get to the bottom, and it's like. 10 out of 16 picks select. <laughs> I've done, I've done yeah. 16. What do you mean? And then you click on them and then the cl- and then the, the pick disappears and I've got to click on it like four or five times. Yes. Definitely don't get it's caught not- out by that one. I have also noticed that particular user interface. Welcome to the NFL Scotland user experience podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, London. Before we get on to week six and some of our headlines, Paul, general that we've talked about the... The, the screeching falcon. We've talked about the slightly higher-pitched crooner-sounding stadium announcer. We do need to talk about um, the the the, pre-se- the pre-game anthems. What were your thoughts on the American National Anthem? I'm intrigued by that. Yeah, I thought she was really good. Um, you know, I was very impressed with the fly pass, the fact they had her strapped up to the Tottenham Hotspur cockerel up on the top of the, the, the stand. That was all very impressive. And it's, that's the things that, that they do well. Um, Catherine Jenkins is fine, but I mean, she must have done it for the last four or five years. Can we not get somebody else? You know, it'd just be nice um, just to get somebody else to do that. I just thought Catherine Jenkins doing it. I'm quite happy for Catherine to do it. I, 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 can, I can tell. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at it, I think roughly the, the same things that we've looked at before. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium is fantastic. Once you're inside, it is a brilliant, brilliant stadium. Getting there is it is horrible. I mean, it, it truly is now. I, I was there with three of my friends. We were in hospitality. We actually took an Uber to get there this time um, because it was just going to be the easiest thing to do. I have to say, from the hospitality point of view, they'd sorted it all out. It wasn't worth it. Back in 2019, people might remember me saying that. It was definitely worth it this time. They'd sorted out all the issues with the food. The food was of higher quality. You're able to get to it much easier. The lounges didn't appear to be overly packed, which was really nice. Uh, We had terrific seats as well. We were down sort of between the 20 and the 10-yard line, um, just in the second tier. We had a great view of absolutely everything. Uh, Everything you want, you know, good drinks facilities, good toilet facilities, plenty of seating. Uh, We we had a brilliant time. And where I wouldn't have recommended it two years ago, I would highly recommend it. Highly recommend it now. We, We were allowed to stay for 90 minutes after the game. And by that time, a lot of people have, have gone and disappeared. We managed to get into the shop and all that sort of stuff. So it, it was just a really, really good experience. Yep, I think that I agree. The, the same issues that we called out before are the same issues. The location of Tottenham, there's no getting away from it. It's not a great location. I think that having your strategy in mind is great. Be ready for it not to work out as you think it might. And I think that it's very difficult to judge. There was a point in that game... Uh, with the Falcons and the Jets, and the Jets, sorry, where I thought, oh, this could be a blowout. We're going to start seeing people leaving maybe early in the third, heading to the pub, getting ready to go and set up and watch the late games, because it kind of was a well, it was a single score game at the end. Because it was that, I, I felt like a lot more people stayed. First time that we've done this, we hung about afterwards. The main bar in the main sort of atrium area show red zone. Not with the sound, but the pictures are there, so you can go and watch Red Zone. We went that and did that for an hour, thinking, right, we'll let the crowds disappear a bit. I would say after an hour, the crowds were still heavy enough. Now, we did get onto train fairly quickly. 
Still not a lot of trains, which is, I think, something that they're just... They need to fix that. If they had more trains, they would get people out of there quicker. We ended up walking to Tottenham Hill. Um, and it, it was when we got into the platform, there was then a 10-minute wait on a, an underground train. It's like, come on. So it was absolutely packed. If you're uncomfortable with COVID, take your mask. There's plenty of people wearing masks on trains. There's an ask. Don't feel afraid to put your mask on. There will be people wearing it. The vast majority of people in England are not, just to set expectations on that. Um, the one thing that regressed this year were was the queuing time, for sure, from speaking to a couple of the people that work there. Um, apparently, the facilities are under new management. Clearly, the new management is not as good as the old management was. It took us 20-plus minutes to get through a queue of eight people and we were only we were in pretty much a beer only queue. There was very limited food options. It was quick grab and go food. To take over twenty minutes to get through eight people is ridiculous. And I mm. think part of the problem that they had was the Budweiser was fizzing, so people ordering that were having to wait. There was rows and rows and rows of cups as they're trying to do these pours from the bottom. They're all foaming up. The people behind the bar just didn't know what to do with that. They're also not very quick. There's not a lot of urgency there. So here's the thing, though. Just plan for it. Know that. It's going to be busy. If you don't want to miss the game, go to the bar and get yourself enough drinks that are going to last you a while. Uh, if you're going before the game, get it well enough before kickoff that you've got time to get your drinks, get back to your seat, see what's going on, and last yourself as far as you can before halftime. Drink sensibly, above all else. But I think just plan and be prepared. Be prepared for after the game that things don't work out. Know where you're going to head into town, but have a plan B. We turned up to a couple of places and they were full, so we had to move on to the next place. There's a lot of people are drawn to the Hippodrome. Unless you're out quick, you're not getting in. So have a plan B. There's loads of places in London show it. So I think, you know, if you've put the planning in, then you can figure it out. Overall, though, the stadium is magnificent. The experience is magnificent. It was great to be back seeing live NFL. Yeah, I agree. It was just, it was an awesome day. I mean, I say caught up a couple of guys I've not seen in such a long time. Uh, we just had a blast, you know, from when we got together about quarter past nine to when we sort of partied about 11 o'clock at night. It was just just a sensational night. Sensational day. So if you're going this weekend, do um, let us know how you get on. We had actually reached out to a few people on Twitter uh, to get your th- to get your thoughts on how you felt it had gone in week five. There was a couple of people had got in touch with that. Largely a lot of the same messages, though, to what we've already said. And I think that, you know, there was a point made there in the Bob Ag nomination that people were on Facebook just moaning about how bad it was. It wasn't so bad I felt the need to go into Facebook and just criticise it. I, I think there's some bits of feedback that I would be quite happy to give to the NFL and say why the experience perhaps wasn't as good as it could have been. But um, I think that overall it continues to be a, a brilliant event and one that I'll continue to go to. But we asked people online for their highlights and their gripes. So the Clear and Oblivious podcast, I actually bumped into them on the Saturday, very randomly, you know, the, the other Scottish NFL podcast, good friends of ours, but uh, bumped into them on the Saturday. We just happened to be in the same pub watching the Scotland game. And then our plan C, where we ended up, is where they were on the Sunday as well. But they say their highlights were Kyle Pitts. The gripes, leaving the stadium was a disaster. Central London is the worst place to drink in the world. Stephen Anderson replied to that saying, absolutely this, I would agree with that. Derek's uh, a combined highlight gripe. All those Falcons first downs, followed by the sound of a man with a screeching lisp. Um, yeah. <laughs> and don't get me started on, oh, I forgot about this. 
It's third down. It's third down. It's third down. Repeating it three times. Every single time it's third down. When you're against the Jets, you're hearing that a shit ton of times, let me tell you. Um, highlight for Innes was the beer snake. Always the beer snake. I didn't see the beer snake, but he did share a photo. Yeah, it was, it was, down, to our, it was down to our left-hand side. It was in the end zone on the left-hand side. Um, we, we saw that the stewards were getting a bit nervous because it was very, very, very long. <laughs> the beer snake. It was almost from the top of the top tier down to the bottom of the top tier. It was very, very <laughs> impressive as as beer snakes go. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. I, th- I think you know, poor service for for the bar. If if you're in the you know the the, the majority, you're not in hospitality area. That's got to be quick, and they've got the the facilities to do it. I mean, there's. People want a beer. They don't want to waste time. They want to go get and get back to their seat. Um, and, yeah, that's got to be better. So, ironically, your service was worse. My service was better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bizarre. So there you go. Right, okay, on to week six. Gentlemen, what are the games that you're most intrigued by this weekend? Gordon, we've been prattling on Frages, so you can kick this one off. I'm going to be... Very boring, and I'm going to pick Raven starters. Um, I don't think that's I, boring. I think that's probably game of the week. Well, no, I, ju- I just, I just mean, I just mean it's the it's the easy choice for me to make. I, I am going to say though, kind of think the Ravens might get rolled over by the Chargers this week. I think what the Chargers do on offense uh, will allow them to put up a lot of points. The Ravens' defense is playing horribly just now, and I think what the Chargers do on defense is the type of thing that can cause the Ravens' offense some problems and slow them down. I think Derwin James, provided he's healthy, is arguably the most valuable defensive player in football because they can move him around so much they do uh, on defense that makes them very dangerous. And I just think Brandon Staley is having a great time as head coach right now, making really good decisions. So I'm really intrigued to see if that becomes a game where, you know, we saw at the end of the Browns-Chargers game, the, the Browns force the Chargers to score the touchdown to give themselves a chance. I think we'll see not necessarily a decision like that because it's very specific on a specific moment in the game, but these are two teams who know when to go for it and fourth down and have people who will tell them this is the optimal time to go for it. So I think it's going to be really interesting seeing that chess match throughout the game. I think it's quite interesting. I mean, Packers-Bears is normally a primetime game. That's a six o'clock game on Sunday. That's unusual. Uh, Chargers and Ravens, I don't think anybody would have picked for primetime, uh, but it's it's right up there. It's probably the best game of the weekend. Uh, Cowboys-Patriots will be the main CBS second game. Um, uh, and you understand, because the love of the Cowboys nationally, CBS don't always get to show them because uh, they're normally on Fox, but I'm not sure I'm overly excited by that. New England have won the last six against Dallas, so Dallas will probably end that. The The Sunday night game is Seahawks-Steelers, which, you know, I don't know, it just it probably doesn't really, you know, Big Ben, give credit to Big Ben, I don't think we did that earlier for, for beating Denver, but it's not an overly exciting game. And Bills-Titans uh, is, is Monday night, and yeah, I think the Bills going to the Titans, that should be a fairly stiff test for them. Um, so that'll be that'll be quite interesting. There are teams on buys as well this week. The Jets, the Falcons obviously coming back from London. And in a twist of fate, both our teams, Cameron, 49ers and Saints, are on a break. Oh, we can take it easy for a weekend. Thank goodness for that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that Bills-Titans is a postseason preview. I think we'll see that one again. 
But the one for me is the Cardinals-Browns. I'm fascinated to see how that one goes because I think, how do the Cardinals cope with the, the run game? The only thing is um, both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt were limited at practice today carrying injuries. Without those two, there's not, not much of an offense in uh, Cleveland. So that'll be a fascinating one. These teams obviously don't meet all that often, but last met in 2019. It's pretty close. The Browns have not beaten the Cardinals, though, since 2003. Uh, I think this will tell us a lot about who both these teams are uh, in the bigger picture of things. So, yeah, uh, I, you touched on this ages ago, but it was closer between the the Cardinals and the Niners. And I think if Trey Lance was more established, we might have come back and actually won that game. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that the Cardinals, it'll be interesting to see what they can do. The the Browns are giving up a lot of points, though. So I think there's an opportunity there for Kyler Murray to run wild. But we know that the Browns can do it back to them. So I, for me, that's the one I'm most interested in. I saw, I saw a really good stat today. And it, it kind of formed my opinion and shaped my picks for both the Ravens-Chargers game and the Cardinals-Browns game. And it, it's early in the season, so it comes with like a caveat. But it looks at where the quarterback completes passes and compares it to where the defense is going up against allow completions. And where Lamar Jackson completes passes is about 4% of the places where the Chargers give up receptions. The flip side is, is where Baker Mayfield completes passes is about 100% of where the Cardinals give up passes. So if there's a game for Baker Mayfield to get back on track, I think it's probably this one. Yes, indeed. Okay, I think that's a full-time whistle then for episode 165 of the NFL Scotland podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. As ever, share your thoughts on this in every episode on social media, at Scotland NFL on Twitter, and search for NFL Scotland on Facebook. Yeah, thanks for joining us again on the podcast. Remember to check out our website, NFL Scotland, with some great stuff from our writers, and keep across all of our social media channels as well. So remember, if you are going into hospital to get a finger operation, you don't necessarily need to be wheeled out in a wheelchair, but we recommend that you do just in case of legal action. My thanks to Cameron. My thanks to Gordon. We'll be back next week. If you're going to London, have fun. Take care. Bye for now. He's wearing sunglasses as well. I didn't even mention it.